Hi, I'm Raymond from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are he, him, and today we're talking to an old friend, Luke Jordan, maker of quite a few games, uh, including Last Rites, Shipwreckers, Wayfaring Strangers, and now Dream Anew. Luke, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. For our listeners that aren't familiar with your work or haven't listened to your past interview yet, uh, do you mind introducing yourself? Uh, Yeah, I'm Luke. Uh, My pronouns are they, them. I uh, spent 10 years as a professional GM uh, for children, teaching history and literature and that kind of thing uh, through role-playing games. Uh, And then recently, in the last like two and a half years, I have... Uh, I'm, I'm a game designer. I, I make games I, and I release them on the internet and I have a podcast and, you know, we all have to have our own podcasts. That's the... Look, everyone's got a podcast and that's everyone's okay. Got a podcast. I think that's a beautiful thing, personally. Hmm. Uh, a podcast for every home, I suppose. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I always say that a podcast for every American. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, I guess I did say it now. Uh, the means of podcast production. <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to be talking about a bunch of things, but in particular, we're going to be focusing on your new, or trying to focus, tangents permitting, <laughs> on your game, your new game, Dream Anew. On your itch, you have a tiny little blurb before or you click through to Dream Anew specifically mm. that says... That Dream Anew is a utopian cosmopolitan fantasy in the shadow of a secret cosmic war. I kind of want to get like English teacher analysis and break down each word in that. Oh, for sure, for sure. So um, I think widely, um, what, let's start with the first part. What is a utopian cosmopolitan fantasy? Okay, so... Uh, Despite for for my, you, for you. Yeah, what does that yeah, mean sure. to you? I, I think obviously, because genre is made up, right? So like, one, despite my, you know, well-known hatred of genre and how I want to blow it up, if you listen to the way that I am flanderized in some discourse, um, like I use the word fantasy because it's a fantasy game, um, but like not necessarily to signal that like utopia is necessarily like, you know, that we are fantasizing when we talk about utopia. Um, I, you know, I happen to believe that like, you know, it's, it's good to live life with a bit of hope in your heart. So it, you know, it's, a, it's fantasy, right? Like there's magic in it. it. It's secondary world fantasy. Uh, it is cosmopolitan in that it centers pretty much exclusively around a city um, and like the surrounding countryside, but a city, a big fantasy city. Um, and that like, it is concerned with the life of that city uh like socially and like you know the architecture of that city is like an important part of the game um and it is utopian in that like uh this like like this game imag- imagines a utopia that like that is that is its purpose um there is a whole page in the uh like in the book where i talk about like what i mean by that specifically but basically like i'm like cool so like this game is set in like a you know in like a fantasy utopia so like you know, there is universal healthcare. There is, you know, like a just you know the means of production are owned, you know, collectively by the citizens. There is like enough food to go around for everyone. You know, you know, people have enough like leisure time that they can pursue like art and you know literature and culture and you know self fulfillment. And so, like, part of the game is about like 
the idea of like this utopia like being under threat. We'll get to the second half of the phrase where the threat lives in a bit. Indeed, the the secret cosmic war. Yeah. But then the other part of it is also like, I'm just really genuinely interested in like, I feel like there's this attitude that like, oh, like it's utopian fiction is boring, nothing bad, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, dog, like I... I I feel like a key part of the idea of utopia is that like we all live with like thoughtfulness and intentionality and like respect for each other's boundaries. And like, we try to be kind, not just like nice. And like, I do that. I know a lot of other people that do that. That doesn't mean that me and those people don't sometimes like hurt one another in various ways. You know, like sometimes you fall in love with people and like, you totally understand that that doesn't entitle you to anything back from them, but it still stings when they don't fall in love with you back. Like yeah, no, hundred percent. Like there are unquote, still there are still s- conflict in Utopia. Yeah, it's just I, not driven by malice, indeed, or like intentionally created scarcity. Yeah, exactly. And so and like, like your and this and I guess in the context of a cosmopolitan, e.g., in a city, the the structure of the city does not create your conflict necessarily. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like, like the conflict, uh, like the conflict isn't that we don't have power or like we have to pay the, the, the medical bill or something. Or we have like, to pay rent to the man. Yeah. yeah exactly. We have to pay rent to the man. Like, no, we have a house. We live here. This is where we live and we live here. Like that's it. Moving on. In a neighborhood, in community. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. In community. And so then, and so then the second half of it is mm-hmm. there is a genre, sub, sub, sub genre. There is a, there is a street, a strand. We're going to call it that mm-hmm. uh, of, of fantasy works. Um, that like, I don't want to put my foot down and declare, you know, on the record that like here is where it originates, but like, to my mind, one of the earliest works in this like line is like The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. And that there's this stream of like, there is a cosmic war between the light and the dark. And this war happens like at a remove from mortals. They are like, you know, affected by it, but not enmeshed in it directly. And there are like, you know, superhuman, like special people born into a, like, you know, a greater than human, like level of power and destiny, whose job it is to fight this war. And so like, there's your, there's your cosmic secret war. Lords of chaos and order in DC comics, like fucking like two, two or three people know that that exists, except when they go and tell someone because they need their help. Yeah, and but like the key, the core thing about this game is, like, look, I, yeah, I want to start with this. I fucking love The Dark Is Rising. Those books are like so, so profoundly formative to me as a creator. I like read them when I was like seven. But at the same time, I can hold that knowledge, that that feeling, and also the knowledge that, in the same way that superhero fiction fundamentally has a lot of very fascist, yeah, kind of like subtext, a hundred percent. The idea of, ah, uh, yes, on your 12th birthday, you, like, you know, wake up and, like, you learn that you are, like, part of this, like, special race of higher beings with cosmic powers set apart to fight in a war that will decide the history of mankind. Like, hmm, there's something a little bit fascist about that. That seems like a great way to recruit kids to attack journalists mm. on social media. Mm, it does indeed. And so, like... One, like, I wanted to disrupt that. I wanted to make a game that would be about that thing, but also disrupt it. And then the other thing is, I don't know about you, but as a non-binary person, I find a lot of binaries very tiring and tiresome. And like the like 
there is something about the like, oh, the light and the dark and one is good and one is bad. And I'm just like, ah, that's like reductive and boring and shallow and biased. And like, haven't we seen so often in like real life that like, yes, you know, like a lot of, you know, like people who are traumatized or like lost in their like their rage or in their like despair, like lash out and hurt other people. That absolutely happens. But like a lot of like, motivated fanatical ideologues also do terrible fucking things motivated by how certain they are that they're right. And so basically in this game, I'm like, cool, the light and the dark are both bad, uh, actually, if you are a human person, because they're like both these like fascist, you know, fucks trying to like control the destiny of mankind. And in this game, you play a bunch of like, it's ambiguous, like you, you certainly were mortal and then you got hit by a bunch of like stray power and like changed and like probably mostly you still identify as mortal, but like there's some question marks there. And you're basically like, our position is fuck this war. It's all bad. Like we, we are on side, like this city and human beings like should survive. No war. Yeah. No, I'm not I'm- in the sense that there should be peace, but in the sense that like we will kill every one of your motherfuckers if we have to, to make the war stop. Wow, that's very... Okay, two thoughts. One, just that last line reminds me a lot of um, the Gundam series, Gundam 00, is about a group of terrorists that seek to stop all war by Mm. destroying all nations, organizations, or private citizens that would wage or enable the waging of war. That's their like. Sh- that's their. That's their short term goal. <laughs> oh wow! But I don't imagine that that's what you're emulating. But that's just like no. I I've never watched a Gundam. <laughs> no, totally. Indeed, it's just interesting pa- mm. uh, parallel there. Of um, in order to stop violence, sometimes you have to put on your violence boots. Well, I want. I want to be. I want to be clear. This is like mostly that was tongue in cheek. Like as written in the game, mm. there is no idea of like. And the way that we will stop the war is by like wiping out both sides who are waging it. Like it's more a case of like we will resist the war wherever it happens. We will attempt mm-hmm. to disrupt the ways it is waged in the city. And when like the great cosmic elemental forces of light and dark try and like bust through the wall and like fucking start lashing out and like tainting people with their like weird radiation, we will be like, no, thank you. And we will make them go away. Mm. No, good. I think that's interesting. And I'm excited to find out more. The point about light and dark and yada, yada, yada. Mm. That made me think of in the last decade or so, a lot of fiction that features angels and demons as literal things that exist often Mm. put the angels in a position of being worse. Authoritarian shitholes. And fascist. It's interesting. I didn't realize that Dreamin' New until recently was a fantasy game. The first time, Mm. I mean, a fantasy game. The first time I, I popped up on my Twitter feed, like maybe like two weeks ago, I actually thought it was a transhuman game by like way of solar punk. I can't remember what I saw that made me think that, but it was probably I, like parts about living in a city. If you wanted to describe it as like, uh, like fantastical or like low tech solar punk, I, I would not object. I think that's, you know, I, I think 
this game is inspired by some fantasy novels that I think have some very similar ideas about what an ideal society or like a, a positive society might look like mm. to like solar punk. So yeah. Um, how does the game go about building that society and the ethics of that society morals or the like things that the yeah. society cares about? Is that a thing that you build at the table? How much of that is baked into the game in the game from my memory of what I saw of some of the previous stuff, are you mm. play- you're playing an aspect of the world as well as a character? Or have I yeah, so this is... Yeah, I, th- I think this is a point where, like, like this, is a, this is a game of... This is one of those things where, like, as much... I love Avery and Ben, but I wish they'd, I wish they'd been more efficient. This is both a game of belonging outside belonging in a categorical sense uh, that I, I, you know, that I put it in that space. And also, in terms of system, it uses the No Dice, No Masters system that the original Belonging Outside Belonging games labeled their systems as. And so, yeah, like one of the things that means is it doesn't have a GM. And in addition to each playing like a main character, everyone plays like an element of the setting and takes, well, there are a number of elements of the setting and each person takes primary responsibility for one to start with, but then they move around the table. It's like, obviously, you know, if you are, if your character is about to have a really deep and meaningful conversation with a like a mortal character from you know the city, you don't want to both be playing you know citizens and neighbors and also your character because then you're just talking to yourself. Yeah. And so at that point, you part. You're like, hey, look, can we swap? Can I just take like whatever one you've got for a bit so I don't have to play it right now and you can you can be my like citizen friend. Yeah. And yeah. Indeed. So because it's yeah, not and fun so, to have a conversation with just yourself. It's not fun and it's also not necessarily the most productive kind of... If we're playing a multiplayer game, mm. it's a bit unproductive. Yeah. Like, if definitely. we were going to do that, why didn't we just write a solo role-playing game? Would yeah. be my, Which I, I have play. heaps of experience with now. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, among the... You know, there are six uh, setting elements in this game. And, like, you know, lo and behold, half of them are about the, like, utopian cosmopolitan fantasy bit. And half of them are about the in the in the shadow of a secret cosmic war, there. and so that you know there is there is a playbook for the city itself and the countryside and like the aesthetics of like the architecture and like what it looks like and what kinds of kind of public occasions happen there. There is a playbook for like you know neighbors and citizens, which is about the kind of people who are there and the things that they want and the ways that they kind of like interact with each other. And then there is one for like art and learning and like the culture of the city. Yes. And then also I, I will take art arts and culture, please. <laughs> and no, and then also, you know, there there is a bit, you know, both in the like the bit of the the game where I talk about like the setting in more depth, and also in the bit where I talk about like what utopia means in this game, I kind of like I I set some base defaults. I say like, you know, yeah. the game is utopian. So like these things must I am I am saying to you these things then are true about the city. Like, this is the kind of... Yeah, indeed. So, like, um, sometimes, um, for my own frame of reference, games like a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games that are aligning to be genre toolkits. Mm. Um, So, like, Apocalypse World, uh, Dungeon World. um, There are others, I'm sure, um, that do this. Uh, The Sprawl. 
they present themselves as genre games, but they also have assumptions uh, within them that are somewhat default. Um, and mm. some of what you pick uh, is shaped by that. So even though they are genre toolkit games, but they don't necessarily encompass all possible interpretations of the 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 meaning that you might derive. So like, oh, this is yeah, a game like, that you can use to play apocalyptic fic, like post-apocalyptic fiction inspired by post-apocalyptic movies in particular that doesn't let you play every single one. Um, yeah, like Apocalypse World is never, never as a strong word. It is very unlikely to closely replicate the experience of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Mm. Right? Like, that because among be other things, that novel is super- ideal. Yeah, well, he's among other things, like, that novel is, like, about, like, you know, three characters. Like, that would be a solo journaling roleplay game if you wanted to emulate that, probably. Um, And so I guess I'm interested in what some of those assumptions are for your setting. Like, in particular, we're talking about what utopia means. I'd be interested in following that thread. So, like, what are some of those things? What What are the places where you've made that kind of rigid, but not, like, immutable, but and some of the places where you have intended it to be fluid. Yeah. So like, I suppose the, the closest it gets to rigid is like, there is a paragraph in the like little mini essay on utopia mm-hmm. where I just like, I, I state some things, right? Like I say, like no one starves in the city. That's just true. Healthcare is freely available to all leisure time abounds. Intentional cruelty to one another is anatomy to its citizens as is violence. Like I just like run down. I'm like, like, let me get you on board. Here is what this utopia looks like. Yeah. But then like this, like the setting elements as part of how they work, ask you to like choose from a list of aesthetics and desires that that setting element has desires in the sense that like, to the extent that we personify it, like what does the city want? Right. Mm. Like, does it want joyous revelry or does it want matchmaking or does it want gossip and scandal? Right, like which of those does it want? Gossip and scandal is it would be a really interesting one that would go counter to a lot of people's ideas of what utopia would be like. Well, yeah, like what does gossip? What does gossip and scandal like? What is a more positive spin on those things? Like, yeah, yeah, and so like, yeah, like by oh my god, did you hear that Cindy is not being true to herself? I I imagine it would be that very well-intentioned brand of, like, nonna gossip in, like, mm-hmm. Italian and Greek, right? Like, where, like, all of your grandmothers get together and, like, talk about checking on how their kids are going. And, like, in, you know, like, really positive way, like, everyone's business is community business and the community watches out for each other. Like, to my mind, that's what that might look like. Yeah, like, rather than, yeah, so, like, talking about, oh, they had this really wonderful thing happen to them, did you hear? Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, like you get to curate by, you know, like choosing, you know, what desires do we want to focus on? What aesthetics do we want to focus on? And also like, you know, just like which moves you end up making, right? Like if you play the neighbors and citizens and you do a lot of asking for help and offering it and a lot of falling in love that, you know, that presents like a particular image of like what the citizens are like, as opposed to if there's a lot of uh, you know, expressing their feelings and their needs and apologizing and making amends. Yeah, like there's a lot of very different community vibes. Yeah. yeah, the setting elements provide some structure and make some, you know, make sure some core things are true, but then give people a lot of authorship over in a moment to moment sense. 
Like what, you know, what, what does utopia look like? What do happy, complex, passionate, intelligent, mature adults, you know, like in a, in a society where everyone is happy, like what, what does that look like? How, how do they spend their lives? Like, I, I don't know. That's not my problem. You figure it out. Yeah. Wow. Um, while we're talking about the setting elements, what is the, we've talked a lot about the ones that pertain directly to the city, like the communities within. What are the other ones? What are the ones that affect the cosmic war? Yeah, well, so uh, you can also play the light and the dark. Oh, so you play both at the same time? Of course you do. That's so good. That's inspired. That's Of course you play the light and the dark because they're both like trying to affect the city. They're both functionally, like for purpose of the game, they are functionally identical. Yeah. Um, And like, of course, you know, the first uh, option on the list of desires is endless stalemate. Yeah, wow. Welcome to the Night's Watch. And the day was. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, there's agents of the war, which is like you play people like yourselves, but who like signed up to the war because they wanted power or they or were desperate thought it was or like good. Whatever. Yeah, like the people who people basically who are like again, you know, like magically enhanced like agents in the conflict, fighting, you know, in living in the city, having infiltrated it, like trying to fuck each other over and find magic doodads and like pull off like weird plans, like. Yeah. You know, the game is not really about like the nitty gritty detail. You know, this is not a, an in, a, a mystery game or an investigation game. Well, you know, like bad RPG uh, ideas. The uh, Blades in the Dark hack, where you're playing a, one of the agent factions. I don't know that that would be a bad. Like that would be a totally valid game. It's a completely different it's game. It's a very different, game. completely different. So, like, we, you know, two different play groups. Like, you know, over here doing the cool city thing. And then one over here doing like magic. Yeah. <laughs> like honest, honestly, I reckon if you like, if you if someone like read this game and like they they played this game for like six sessions or whatever, and then like there was like a midway point where they were like, oh, actually, like you know, it's starting to shift, and like we really do care about like the nitty gritty of like how the war is going now, and like we're interested in investing in that. Like, I just. Personally, I'd just be like, "Cool, let's play Girl by Moonlight." I was gonna say, "Girl by Moonlight." <laughs> like, let's let's play on a let's play whatever it's called in a maze of dreams, the like conspiracy playbook of Girl by Moonlight. Like, yeah. yeah. So there's you know there's the light and the dark at the cosmic level. There's like their their formerly human agents like running around on the ground fucking people over. Yep. And then there's the marked, who are Ooh. mortal citizens who have been touched by the light and the dark, like just a tiny bit. And it's like fucked them up and traumatized them and like planted seeds of, of magic in them. And so like, you know, in like very explicitly, like the game says like they, they are the victims of the Right. And like, it is your job when you play the marked, it is your job to make them both sympathetic and volatile in their suffering. Right. That is of all the things. I think that that is mm. perhaps the most conceptually fraught not because it's bad or that it shouldn't be explored, but I can imagine that that would be mm. difficult to write. Um, yes. Yeah. That was like the most redrafted. Um, and also there was a lot of, there's this thing that John Harper did. Okay. Bless him. Um, and <laughs> okay. it's not his fault. Like John Harper is the first person I know of to like really intentionally call this out where he's like, look, here's the thing. If you write a list of options and you present it to people, it matters what thing you put at the top of the, like it sets expectations and people will tend towards like the, the first thing on the list is it matters. Mm-hmm. 
which is why like in Blades, you know, John was like, look, if you don't know what thing to pick, pick the first thing. I put it there because it is the most reliably good experience producing thing. Like it is a good default option. And I didn't, you know, like that's not how moves work. So like I didn't do that, but I did think very carefully. I was like, what is the difference? Like, what does it say if the, the top move that the marked have, the first thing you see is like lash out and destroy something. Like I'm, I think having that a move is totally fine within the way that it's framed. But like, if I put that first on the list, that is me setting expectations and communicating some very distinct things about the way I want to talk about traumatized people in this game. And it is not the statement that I want to make. And so there was a lot of, here is my list of eight moves. What What order should Which one is first? Which one is last? What do I alternate between? Like, how do I want to arrange them? There was a lot of that. And like the same with the desires too, right? Like if I was like, cool, the thing they want is like oblivion that's a very pointed statement. And again, it's not the statement I wanted to make. So what is the one at the top at the moment uh, of the, for the desires? Yeah. Hope. See, that's good. Hope. Sh- just, yeah. the, the list goes hope, justice and explanation. And then yeah. it proceeds from there. Yep. I'm here for that. And the, and the, yeah. And the top, the, the move at the top of the list is reveal their pain and vulnerability. Yeah. And it's it. And it's right there in the tips that like, remember that they're people and don't present them like monsters. Like it was very important to me that like, to the extent that there are like, you know, quote unquote, like villains in this game, right? Like Mm -hmm. people who were like, oh, that's a person and not like a nebulous cosmic force of, you know, like the light and the dark are the villains of this game, but like, it's hard to really villainize a like mindless, nihilistic cosmic force of darkness. Yeah. And so like the closest thing this game should have to villain is not the market, it's the agents of the war. Yes. But even then, super important to me that like actually no like the agents are like are fucked up and like confused and like you know like you've known about the older like members of the pcs have like known them for like decades or even for centuries depending on how you decide that like you know the scale of the game runs and so like no they're like they're they're people you have like fraught messy relationships with and like who are maybe looking for a way out and are like in way too deep and like you know i I didn't want to be like oh there's the villains of this game because i just think that's yeah. Like one, generally, I'm never really interested in that. Two, it puts violence back on the table in a way that's tempting and that I don't really like. And three, it just seemed to me really deceptive and like like false mm. within the the themes of this game and its ethos. Like no no person in this game couldn't be redeemed by or you know or like bought back in or shown care and compassion if if the players decided they wanted. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, and the dark never could be because it's not a person and you're not allowed to make it. So like, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Did you, while making these somewhat tough, uh, I've forgotten what they're called, setting elements. Setting elements. Um, when you were making them and writing them, did you consult with anyone like that was um, perhaps knowledgeable in the areas that you're trying to touch on? Or did you have experience that you felt helped you i yeah i have some personal personal background with it look here's here's what here's what i'll here's what i'll say when i was when i was like very young some of the like ways that emotional expression and the like was modeled to me were not particularly healthy and were maladaptive uh, mechanisms that like you know the people around me like had had learned in turn from like 
their own trauma. And so like in the way that like really young kids do, I internalized a bunch of that. And when I was like a kid, I was like, I was really angry, like deeply, deeply angry. And in a way that was like really frightening because I didn't feel like I had any like control over it. And, you know, then I, then, and then I got a bunch of therapy and I like went into, came to have like a much more healthy relationship with my anger, which is wonderful. And I appreciate a great deal, but like, yeah, in a lot of ways, like when I was writing the, the mark, the thing that I was like both consciously thinking about, and also like, I think just like subconsciously, like the whole time I was writing, it was like there in the back of my head is I was like, all right, like, let's go back to when I was nine. And I had this like really like volatile, frightening, fraught, confusing relationship with my own anger and like and I didn't know where it came from and I was like all right cool like I'm gonna write this setting element kind of about like me age nine and I'm gonna try and like be compassionate to me age nine and like that's gonna be my guiding principle yeah because like me age nine wasn't a monster right like me age nine was a fucking kid yeah exactly yeah yeah and then like yeah I think like if I like before I ever was like oh and then I'm gonna like you know and now I'm gonna like expand this game and like publish it in print, yada, yada, yada. I think I absolutely, before that point, would want to, like, invite other other people's voices in and, like, you know, get some consultation. But, like, it felt, it, it felt like a thing I was, like, I had enough personal feelings about and enough personal experience with that I was, like, very, very mindful about it. Yes. At the very yeah. least, you have demonstrated that you thought it through. Uh, so tell me about the characters. Yeah, right. So, like... Or whatever they're called. Are they called characters? Like they're, uh, they're, they're called characters. Give me a moment. Let me look at they have the a weird term, technical analogy. They probably... Give me a moment. Um, char- like character roles. Yeah. The characters. Character, you know, characters. Yeah. We all know how games, we all know how games work. Like, whatever. Um, but no, I think, I think, like, you know, language is important. And the idea of, like, you know, them being, like, roles, you know, is important. Because, like... Can we can we talk about system for a bit first? I, I feel yes, like let's I, talk about system. So I feel like there's some there's some context I, I, I want us to have before we go into like the particular. Right, of course. So as Luke previously said, this is a belonging outside belonging game. Yeah. Which is like that doesn't really have any meaning because it's pretty new system. Like yeah, last like, year or two. Uh, yeah. and much like powered by the apocalypse or forged in the dark mm-hmm. um, before it. Unlike a lot of the systems of the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, they're not game engines that you then put your setting over. Yeah, for sure. Because the fiction and the mechanics are a lot more entwined. So a lot more has to change. They're more like design spaces. Um, yeah, and, and I like... And there's some design assumptions that come with it. I think it's also important in the in the in the case of like so there's like there's games of belonging outside belonging which is like a statement of like intentionality and theme and setting mm-hmm. more than anything else and then there's this idea of like the no like the no dice no masters and like I think it's super important to to, to think of the two as like distinct like I could totally sit down and write a game about a fuck I would never do this but one could sit down and express. Dungeons and Dragons in all its colonialist awful glory using the No Dice No Masters engine. And then I and a lot of other people, including probably Avery and Ben, would fight you if you called that a game of belonging outside belonging. Yeah. Because like the values could not be more wildly different, right? And so like one, this is a game, this is a no dice, no masters game, right? Like 
it has character roles, it has setting elements, it has, you know, strong and weak moves, then a narrative, and you there's like a token economy. It has all these things. And within this context, setting elements is a specific term that Basically. As a thing, is a thing that exists. As opposed, um, like everything has setting elements, but not everything has capital S, capital E setting elements. Setting elements in place of a GM that are played by people in a particular. Exactly. Though, like again, right? Like, like any system, I, I will come back to that. And then, and then, like, no, actually, no. Let's follow the thread. And so, but and like the other thing I want to point out is like, no dice, no masters is still is relatively recent, but also like you know, like there are I could probably name like. 10 No Dice, No Masters games off the top of my head if I wanted to, uh, like including like one of mine previously. And so like, it's been really interesting watching like, you know, like there was a very core, like original generation of those games. And then I, I wrote a game and uh, uh, Jammy at Temporal Hiccup wrote Balik Bayan, which is like a, cyber, a Filipino cyberpunk uh, No Dice, No Masters game that has an optional GM. And I wrote Heaven in the Dust. And I was like, actually, fuck it. There's only one setting element in this game. Everyone has a copy of it, but like, there's only one. And like, really the character's own like drama is the game. And then like, you know, you know, we go another step down, right? And like, uh, Riley Rethel recently released uh, Venture, a game of introspective dungeon fantasy. So it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but like mi- Marxist, like dialectical materialist take on it. And like, there are no monsters. It, it's great. It's so good. I'm really it excited. sounds fantastic. And so, like, it's really interesting because, like, I can watch, I can watch the threads like travel down, mm-hmm. that right? Where like, yeah, where like, you know, like Avery and Ben write a game, and it has, you know, a step where like you ask a question to the player to your left, and then in Heaven in the Dust, I'm like, ah, like this game is all about character relationships. You ask one left and one right, like you ask two questions, and then Riley borrows that piece of tech, and then like I borrow a piece of tech from Riley, and so like I feel like. Because the basic mechanical givens, and again, even then, like, right, Jamie goes off and writes a game with a GM, so, like, they're not actually givens. But, like, you know, it's a, it's a very small, very elegant system with a lot of, not a lot of parts, and so it's really easy to trace the, like, the lineage and, like, the proliferation of particular ideas and watch us all, like, learn from each other which is one of the reasons that like these games are really good. They're also, it's just like, it's really, it's a really approachable system to write in. So like, there's that, this game, this game was always definitely going to be that just because like, I think it's false, like it's false advertising to say it's not. Whether to call this and also Heaven in the Dust, to be honest, games of belonging outside belonging was a thing where like I stopped and I thought about it. I was like, okay, are they, or are they a different thing? And you know, Avery, Avery and, and Ben in Dream Askew and Dream Apart, talk about like the idea that the core feature of like belonging outside belonging games is like one, they're about community Two, I mean, that that's the really good, like they're games about community. They're kind of like their manifesto is that like specifically they're about like marginalized communities existing on the, on the fringes of like a, a majority community and about like exploring oppression uh, and marginalization. Um, I, 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 you know, I think, I think there are, I think the edges of it are, are broader and more nebulous than that. And I think we're seeing that, like, I think more than anything else. Uh, and I think this reflects, um, is really reflective of Avery, at least. I don't, I don't know Ben super well. It's really reflective of Avery's values. Like I would say the most defining characteristic of every game that I have seen that calls itself belonging outside belonging is an interest in the idea of community as a verb, mm. right? 
Like being in a community is an active thing. You choose to do it every day. And there are different ways to do it. And there are material details to what that looks like. And there are conflicts in it and it is messy and it is fraught. And sometimes the water heater breaks and who fixes it and how and what strain does that put? Like Blowing Inside Belonging games really care about communities and how they work and how they come together and like the lived experience of what it is like to be in community with them. Yeah, indeed. And that is, and that, and like for me, that is why I ended up calling both of my games saying, yes, I think they're both belonging outside the line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I think the, I think I've talked about this with, um, with, uh, Jamie before. Um, mm. and I think we talked about it on the show. And that is that in, in a lot of, I think, in a lot of physical, um, places around, um, mm and places that are not online in particular. Yeah. Uh, community in English is often used to mean, by, by primarily English-speaking communities, so like talking about mm. America, Australia, the United Britain. Kingdom, Britain, yeah. those places. Community means the place where you live. Yeah, rather, like it, 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 rather, which I think would be better classified as your locality, whereas... Yeah. More so in online spaces, community is the people who you live with and through and interconnected by. Community yeah. is people and locality is where you are. And so I think it's important to point out that that's the kind of community we're talking about is community communities of people. And that is increasingly what community is coming to mean, although I know that there are probably older uh, people in my yeah, life that I, say, like, that's what communities always mean. I'm like, that is not what community has been in practice. I, I think I would, I would probably complicate that a little. I'd say that like... Go for it. I think community is about proximity. Yeah. Like ultimately. And like that might be proximity of location. And I think, you know, like certainly for most of the, 19, uh, the 18th, the 20th, the 1900s. Yes, the 1900s and, and the yeah. 20th century. Yeah, yeah, for most of that, like, I think, yeah, like, it became really true that, like, proximity proximity of location tied in with lo- proximity of politics, uh, like, I think, and, like, was, 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 like, the defining characteristic. But, like, now on the internet, yeah, like, proximity of values, proximity of, like, interests, right? Like, fandom spaces are communities that are about proximity, about, about the things that we love. Yeah, and community and think- is, uh, that, that, that kind of community is 100% active participation, like you choose to be. Uh, and like, I haven't, and I know that for myself, community hasn't, I haven't felt like where I live has been the community that I live in for a really mm. long time. I've lived here for like 2000, so like 19 years now, which is wild to me because I still think of myself as having just moved here. Um, yeah. And, which like- but I've only like really started to be part of, of and feel like it was a community and not just a place where I lived in the last two years when I've actually started to like do stuff in the space, like go out to poetry readings or art events or whatever. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, because like now that we're having this conversation, I, I, it, it like, it, it makes me realize that like, so like I, I uh, was born in, grew up in and still live in the same place. I have spent 25 years of my life in the same city. And I, like, I, 
I wouldn't describe myself as in community with the whole city because that just like doesn't, that's just not possible in fucking sense. But like, I do feel like a very strong sense of like identification and like belonging to like my local, like my locality, like the physical space that I occupy, particularly because like often I like, you know, I like go away from a suburb and then like move back there a decade later, like I am right now. And I think like, now that I think about it, I'm like part of, I think part of what I mean about this game and community also is that like, is the ways in which that community of of people and of like values and interests and, and all those things like that that can be tied into a place yeah and, where, and the way that that belonging is possible and can happen and so i think like in, in a sense like part of the utopian dream of this game also is i'm like wow wouldn't it be really nice if like all the physical places that all of my online friends and i felt really deeply connected to and passionate about were the same place and they were next door to each other and me and all my online friends lived like within walking distance. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be a utopian? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if you were actually connected to the people uh, that live in your suburb? And- yeah, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be nice if the people who live in my suburb were the, were people were, were the online friends that I care about? Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> wouldn't that be a thing? Yeah, wouldn't that wouldn't that be utopia? Right, and like I, yeah. I mean that very like you know like sincerely. Yeah, Isn't exactly. that maybe what a kind of utopia might look like? Yeah, 100%. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel yeah. like I now have the context to start talking about character roles. Yeah, indeed. Character roles. What have we got? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so there, were, there were two things here, right? One was I was like, what are the tropes, right? Mm. Like there is more, like there is, this is a game where I can very specifically say like, this game is a whole lot of The Dark is Rising, and then also a really sizable chunk of the ones who walk away from Omalas and the Pelinoc. Like, there is a three-item mediography for this game, and that's it. I'm sure a bunch of the listeners know what any they, of they those probably, things are. They, pro- they, probably, they probably do, but, like... I do not, reason, but I, yeah. I trust. Well, the, 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 reason I, the reason I think it's, it's relevant is that, like, because I have such clear because there's such a small list Mm -hmm. like it is very very easy for me to say cool what are the archetypes yeah like what what are the common archetypes what 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 beats do we want to hit right the narrower your genre the easier it is to find those yeah and also just like so like also just like the the less the less the less things you're drawing on right like if i'm if i sit down and i have the license and i'm like cool i'm gonna write the harry potter role playing yeah. It's not very hard. It's not necessarily very hard to figure out what the like quote unquote classes should be, right? Because yeah. like, I, there is only it's a one for one analogy, right? I'm like, here is the source material I need to emulate, and here is my game that needs to emulate it. How do I make that happen? Sports. So nerd. like, yes, right. So like, the first thing I did is I was like, okay, in these books, what were some like core, you know, what are some core kinds of people who like we definitely saw like again and again who were like important, and it was important that that was there. And then the other thing is I was like, cool, like this is a game about the ways in which utopia is not, you know, about the ways that in which like being in utopia is like messy, right? And like is not necessarily like, you know, there is no version of the world, I believe, where even as our best selves in the best society where like no one ever gets hurt. We could talk about, yeah, we could talk about all sorts of philosophical things there. Like, um, yeah, like there's still going to be, 
conflict and problem in our daily lives, yeah. uh, the hedonistic tre- right? treadmill comes to mind in particular. And it will, and it will just cut. And and it, and it is. And to me, utopia is more about uh, how do we approach those, right? Yeah. Like, and so, like, the other thing I wanted to be like was cool. Okay, so like, all of these characters like have stuff that they're working on. Like, they're not perfect. They like they have flaws. They have things that are not necessarily the best about them, and that like. And that they then can move towards fixing. Because like seeing the 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 mechanics begin to appear before you've even said them. Yeah, well, and like the the thing that is great about this is that like no dice, no masters, because it says cool. Like here are your regular moves. Here are the things that you can just you can just always say about that your character does. Here are the weak moves. When you say these things, you get a token. And here are the strong moves. If you want to say these things, you have to spend a token. Like in Dream Askew and Dream Apart, the way that's executed is it, it is designed so that it leads to like, even though there is no like plot, there's no GM, there's none of that. It's very play to find out what happens. You still will get like a dramatic arc in a very normal, right? Like your character will start off, they'll bumble about, they'll fuck up. And, but then like, oh, and then they'll have like a big moment. Yay. And I was like, I want that same trajectory, but like, I want that for like personal growth. And so I was like, cool, okay then, if I like put on my critical reading goggles and I go back to the text and I look at the kinds of like archetypes that are in this, blah, 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 like, what are the weaknesses? <laughs> you know, like what, what seeds of potential, you know, fucking upness can I see in these characters? And so what I ended up with was the eldest, who Ooh. is the like, who, right, who is like the, the mentor character, because, like, of course there's a mentor character. you got to have a mentor um, character. And so I'm like, cool, the two questions here is, like, one, like, you are very old and very tired. And so, like, one, like, how, how do you deal with that restriction? What, what is that experience like? And two, how does that tempt you to do reckless things or short-sighted things to, like, to make it all stop now, right? So you can just, like, fucking rest. Uh, there's the Watcher which is all about, like, alienation, right? Like, the Watcher is a person who is way too committed to the war and has almost entirely... Well, that's not... You know, that's a hyperbolic statement. But, like, they prioritize the war over their personal life and their relationships in a way that is not particularly healthy. Mm. And their, their whole question is about, like, you know, is, like, is there anything that can draw you back into the world, right? Like, how can you make amends for that distance? How can you cross that distance? How can you acknowledge the reasons for that distance, which ultimately boil down to like fear and like isolation? There's the seeker, which is like the young protagonist who like yesterday I was normal. And then like, oh my God, I was caught up in the horrible magic nuclear fallout of some bullshit. And like, now I have all these powers and like, am I a human anymore? Am I a, like, whatever you all are? Like, what do those things mean? Should I do what you tell me? Right? Like, lots of very obvious uh, fodder for, like, coming of age yeah. and, like, and, self-identity like, drama here. I mean, two things come to mind. Seeker is the name of Harry's role, right, in his in his football team? Uh, it is, yeah. It is, more importantly, it is the title of the main character in The Darkest Rising. I was going to say... Which is where I, like... I was going to say, isn't there also like some other fantasy kid, well, yeah. fantasy with child protagonist thing where like their magical title is? And yeah, there we go. Yes. Yeah. And so like, you know, the secret is all about this tension between like, you know, the life you had, the life you have now. Mm-hmm. Can you go back? Like, is there a way to like, quote unquote, go back? Like, what does that even mean? Do is that a thing to? you want? How can you integrate? So like, it's all about that. 
and it's strong. The strong moves there deliberately give you a bunch of a bunch of options. Like I'm not interested in saying to you, and here's what winning looks like. I'm like, cool. You can share a piece of your old life with your new friends. You can refuse to do what tradition tells you. You can say farewell to something from your old life. You can reconnect with someone. Like, what is what does your personal version of dealing with this look like? And then figure it out for yourself. Yeah. And then I and so then at this point, like I started to slow down, right? Like I, like I had those three. That was easy. I had those written four months ago. Then I started to slow down. And I was like, all right, what else do we need? And then it occurred to me that, of course, if we have a character who prioritizes the war and neglects their personal relationships, mm-hmm. obviously we need a character who does the other thing. Yep. So then we have the singer who is a heartfelt individual and their whole thing is that they're like, I have, I really value my relationships. My relationships are really strong. They're really honest. They're great. I also am very much like instrumentalizing them and using them as an escape from the war. And the fact that I'm fucking terrified. Yeah. All right. Right. And so like, you know, how will you treat, how will you like stop yourself from treating those people you love like tools? How will you, can anything inspire you to like recommit to the fight? So that's their whole kind of like their journey. So I always knew, I always knew that there needed to be a playbook that was like, you're just, you're just like a totally vanilla mortal, right? Like you, you've never been caught up in the side of the thing. You don't have any of the power. Like you're just a person. And I like went back and forth and back and forth on like what this would look like. And then ultimately I was like, the, like the key thing here is that like, it's really important that like mortality has a, a voice at the table and a stake in the conversation. Cause like, that's the whole fucking premise of the game. So I'm like, cool. Being the mortal is all about like asking a lot of questions about what the fuck is going on. Yep. Problematizing a bunch of those answers you're given and like, you know, like providing a mortal perspective and demanding that people like, do the right thing. Mm. Like, you know, you know, very powerful way, like the mortal is the moral compass of the game. And then I have a lot of big feelings about communities, right? Like, yep. obviously, I wrote this whole game. And a trope that I really love, and this, I, mean, I suppose this, this is a little bit in the Pelennor Quartet. It's not so much in The Dark is Rising, but also, like, I just, like, or is it? No, it kind of is. I really love the, like, that, like, central community figure role. Yep. Like, not, not in any sense that implies a hierarchy, but that implies, like, uh, like a gravitational well around which, like, it result, revolves, like, the glue that holds it all together. And, like, I also, um, because, like, I have a lot of big, you know, feelings as an anthropologist about, like, how bullshit the great war of history, the great man theory of history is, and how, like, lived experience and everyday life is super... I, like, I wanted to really, like, honor and center, like, domesticity and so like the idea of like being like of like cooking for other people helping other people clean taking care like taking care of other people right like what what does that look like in the world and so like of course the dilemma of this playbook is how do you learn to like balance that with asserting your boundaries and like not burning out yeah and taking time for yourself because as as kind of this friend in high school i learned some hard and valuable lessons about how if you are constantly there for everyone with no limits at all, eventually you will not be able to be there for anyone because you will be huddled in the corner, like emotionally overwrought and burned out. A very important lesson in these trying mm. days of RPG Twitter. Yeah, right? Like, and yeah, like a lot of these, a lot of this game really honestly comes from the heart too, right? Like I, I have a lot of big feelings about like the way that we treat each other in society and the way that like a lot of people out there are not interested in and don't prioritize like doing the work to like 
show up and be intentional and be kind and be honest. You know, so like all the thing, all the things in this game where I'm like, these are things that like as people we should work on. I'm like, yeah, like I genuinely mean that. I'm like, if you play this game, I have a complicated set of feelings about the idea of games as moral pedagogy and like a moral teaching tool. I'm a bit dubious. And like, do games create empathy? Mm, I'm a bit dubious about a bunch of that. But like, I would like to think if you sit down with this game with an open heart and you play this game, like I would like to think it will... It may not necessarily teach you something you don't already know, but I would like to think it will help reinforce some important things you might already know and give you a space in which to practice those things. Yeah. That's what I hope. Yeah, well, someone and will I mean, have to tell me a, if it achieves uh, that. Hope is an important aspect of this game too. Oh, yeah, straight up. Like, I, I explicitly say in the bit on Utopia... Where I'm, where I'm like, what, like, what does you, what does it mean that this game is described as utopian? I'm like, here are a bunch of things at a setting level about what it means, and then I say, like, ultimately, like, it imagines it like where you as players put away your cynicism and buy into imagining a fundamentally hopeful. That is your job as a player in this game. That is what I am trying to do by writing this game. Like, that's the goal. Yeah, exactly. And I've because I've um, in a world right now that like, oh boy, it can I be echo really this hard to do that. I echo this at every opportunity that I get, and that is that our our the state of our fiction at the moment, in particular TVs, TV and movies, is a lot of focus on imagining the dark horrors of our future if we don't avert our course, and not enough showing us the possibilities that could be if we avert our course there's not enough aspirational and hopeful fiction there's not a there's too much here's the dark cyberpunk future if we don't defeat elon musk and not enough here's what happens if we defeat elon musk yeah like there's a there's a very very powerful ursula Le Guin quote um and it's very apt given that like one of her a short story of hers that is like almost as much an essay about utopia as it is about as it is actually a short story. Like, is one of the the key. Most games. of what I have heard about that author, without having actually consumed any of their work directly, is that that's kind of like their their thing. Is that mm. a lot of stuff is essay? I mean, I don't like know that I would say that's like fair. like not like presented in essay format, but a lot of it is anyway. like strong sense of thesis. I I yeah. I'd pay. Um, but yeah, like there was, she, you know, so like, let me set this, you know, Ursula Le Guin, 85, like, right, like right at the end of her career, career, at the end of her life, you know, like one of the, the first and, you know, like really influential, like women to enter like sci-fi and fantasy and to do a bunch of trailblazers in that regard. And she's finally awarded by some American literary society with some fucking award and she gets up to give her speech. And at some point during her speech, she says the following unbelievably excellent lines. Living in the moral world, uh, it is easy to imagine, to, it is easy to think of capitalism as inevitable. People in the medieval period felt like that way about the divine right of kings. And it's just like, yeah, Ursula, damn fucking right. And then she goes on to talk. I was going to say, doesn't that speech also have a bunch of comments about um, the makeup of said room? Uh, Ursula, at no point in her life, was ever remotely in the you know, like in the job of fucking around. Like, I'm, God yeah, bless I'm pretty her. sure God. same speech involves a bunch of comments yeah. about like all vale, white uh, yeah. male 
shitty sci-fi authors. Yep, and it, and it also inv- it, yeah, and it also like goes on from that point to re- to talk about the fact that like like the job of speculative authors is to imagine other possibility. So, yeah, like, exactly. This game, there you go, Ursula. I tried to do it for you. Unfortunately, we are way over time. We are way over time. <laughs> We are way over time. The children have come home. They're <gasps> making lots of loud noise. Won't somebody think of the children? Won't somebody think of... Well, I mean... That's not my job anymore, though. I did true. that for a decade, but now I'm out. You, you served your time. I served my fucking time in the trenches. <laughs> um, wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking about it, and thank you for having a bit of a longer chat than normal. Thank you for asking such thoughtful questions. I do try, and sometimes I'm like... Whoa! Am I doing this anyway? That is good. That's part of the process. <laughs> the process. Um, thank you so much. Uh, is there uh, a place where people can find out more about your ongoing projects? Hmm. Uh, probably a combination of... Um, well, actually, yes. Yes, there is. Now that I think about it. So if you would like to know, uh, like get sneak peeks at my ongoing projects and have like an idea of like what is going on backstage in the space where it's not just all finished games, you can uh, follow me on Patreon and, and patronize me there. Uh, not, not, not like that, though, please. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, and there, you know, like... I reckon a couple of months ago, probably like I, there was a, you know, there was a, a half finished version of this that went up. that was like three playbooks and a, a, a rant about binaries in this brand of fiction, or whatever. In a trench um, coat. So, yeah. So you can, you can look at that. that. That gives a pretty good idea of like what, what all of what I'm looking at working on looks like, you know, like when you include the iceberg view, you can go to my itch store, you can buy my games. Uh, please do. Uh, I think they're really good. They are like sad and spooky and sincere and like often really quite specific and like interested in people's lived experience and like the way that we relate to landscapes and a bunch of other things. Go check them out. Deep love of specificity. Yeah. For for sure. Um, And also like I've recently added community copies to a bunch of those games. So like if you buy one, you'll be putting stuff in the community copy pile for other people to grab if they can't afford it. If you can't afford it, you can still get my games. There are community copies of them available. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Wildwoods Games, uh, where I, I, I tweet about things. I don't you know. I, I, mainly it's snippets of my shit. And then just like I, weird, weird stuff that comes to me. I don't do a lot of like big game design threads or anything, but like sometimes I have big feelings and I do yell. So if you're there for that, like maybe, maybe it's worth visiting. Um, and then the last thing I want to shout out is I have a podcast, an actual play uh, called Feelings First, where we, me and me and my queer friends who I love very dearly, play games. There are really actually like quite consistent with the themes of this work that are like, you know, we play games that are like really interested in like, what does it mean to be in community? And like, what are people, you know, what are, what are our relationships like? And like, what kind of like messy, fraught, intimate, tangled, expansive kinds of relationships can we have? when we bust out of like romance and platonic and all these like arbitrary bullshit definitions. Uh, so yeah, go check out my podcast right now. We're playing a game about a gay fairy circus. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, and there will be links to all of that down below on the main website uh, for the episode and at least a link to one of them on the uh, 
on the uh, SoundCloud uh, thing. Um, what do you call that thing? Description. Uh, if you would like to uh, support Insert Quest here, we have a Patreon. I have a coffee, a Ko-Fi, whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, where you can give me money. You can buy my stuff um, as well on itch. Um, and if you want to listen to our first interview with Luke, you can find that by clicking on the interview tag or category, uh, underneath this episode. Uh, and you can listen to a bunch of other interviews with Australian, uh, game makers as well as game makers from all across the world. Um, there are game makers outside of Australia. There are game makers outside of Australia. Have you heard of this like little uh, indie company called Hasbro? They've apparently got a no. They've got a role playing. Oh, hang on, hang on. Um, don't, they make board, don't they make board games? They make board games, but they also made this mm. like colonialist kind mm. of um, uh, gentrification RPG uh, about can't, th- can't think it'll catch on about dungeons and or dragons. I like dragons. Yeah. Yeah, you kill the dragons. Ah. Yeah. They're like bad. And you're not even all like tragic and bowwolf about it, right? You know, like No, you just it's good apparently. Nah. <laughs> um yeah, uh thank you so much for being on the last episode of 2019. I think uh it has been a fantastic episode. Uh we will be back in mid January with more mm. content. Um, there's a little bit of extra stuff coming out on the Patreon though, if you want to grab that. Uh, but for now, uh, farewell from the past. I'm Ray.